Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Welcome to the Kubrick series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with Brian W. Cook. Mr. Cook served as the assistant director on Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, The Shining, and Eyes Wide Shut, and would later go on to direct Color Me Kubrick, starring John Malkovich as Alan Conway, a man who posed as Kubrick during the production of his last film in order to gain social status. Uh, yesterday when we started, I asked you uh, how you came on board with, with Barry Lyndon, and, and uh, I, I was curious your, your consciousness of, of Mr. Kubrick's work before that point and what role it played in, in your life. Uh, well, obviously, I'd, I'd seen uh, most of his movies, um, and uh, obviously respect him as a very, very, very fine filmmaker. But um, at that stage of my career, when he first, when they first asked David Tomlin asked me to work on Barry Lyndon, uh, I just made a step forward. And you know, every time you make a step up in the film industry, or it used to be, it doesn't matter anymore today because anybody's anything since the advert of all the student filmmaking. Right. Um, we have everybody one thinks they're producer, director, writers, which of course is rubbish. But um, in those days, you had to move up very, very slowly, and you really had to know what you were doing. It was a much better training system. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, of course, um, I didn't want to work on that movie as a second assistant director purely because I didn't want to step back down again to something right. I've been doing for a few years. Uh, so and that was a. I didn't like not doing that because uh, you know one always wants to try and work with the very best people in the movie industry, and I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of very good ones. Yeah, uh, a lot of bad ones too, I might add. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I won't. I won't name those for the moment. I'll save those for my book. <laughs> you do. You're writing. You're writing a book, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, then, of course, uh, so I was I was sad that I wasn't able to work with Stanley, and that's why I hated the idea of working as a location manager, to be honest with you, because I think it's one of the most thankless parts in the film industry. Mm-hmm. If you do everything well, nobody gives you any thanks. And the moment you make one mistake, which is so easy to do in that position, uh, you get absolutely slaughtered. So it's a thankless task and really is... Uh, very specialist job where you need more than anything to have the right personality for it to be able to get on with people. It's a, I met not that many really great location managers in my life, and um, there are very few sort of Frank Ernst in the world who were excellent in those roles. And I have worked with one or two, but it's a very difficult job, very important job too, and mm-hmm. very underrated. And I didn't particularly fancy the idea of doing it, but I thought, well, I would do it, you know. Right. And then, of course, when David left to start directing, um, Stanley asked me to take over, which was great, and I really uh, was delighted. Did Did you guys click uh, at once, you and you and Cuba? Well, I was very lucky because they've been preparing Barry Lyndon for many months in England, and when I came on board, Stanley decided, you know, for whatever reason, whether because the Clockwork Orange was getting such a pounding in England in the press, and that uh, to move on and make the film in Ireland. Uh, whether he fancied a little break from England for a while, I'm not sure. 
But uh, anyway, we should have been in Ireland anyway in the first place, but Stanley originally wanted to make it all, you know, within an hour of his home, which mm -hmm. of course proved impossible. So I was lucky enough to sort of be the first person to go out to Ireland with Ken Adam, the designer, and um, one of the art directors. And we flew out to Cork, and then we uh, started, uh, set up in Waterford and started scouting, and then Stanley came over with the family, and so I used to go out every day with um, Ken Adam and Stanley used to drive. And uh, so we went for weeks looking at locations and sending photographers out all over the countryside uh, looking and photographing stuff. And uh, so I got to know Stanley very well on all those trips. So it was sort of an easy introduction for me on a very casual way rather than the sort of full-on working on a film set all day long. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it became a lot easier for me. So I got to know him pretty well, and we got on well. And, uh, so, you know, he asked me then to take over when David left after the first six weeks to um, carry on shooting for the next year or whatever it was we shot for. Was there any delineation between your personal interactions with him and uh, on and off the set? Because, uh, I mean, I've heard that uh, work, the working situation with 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 people that you are friendly with can be much different from your your off time alone with him. Or was he the same personality on and off the set? Yeah, Stanley was pretty much the same. I would say he's a lot more relaxed during pre production and post production. Stanley, he really didn't enjoy the shooting so yeah. much. He preferred the pre-production and post-production. He didn't like being tied down <laughs> to the actual shooting and having to commit himself to do something. But, um, you, know, uh, you know, Stanley was a very tough uh, taskmaster, which you have to be in the film industry to make it to the top. I mean, the guys who are considered difficult directors, like James Cameron or Michael Mann or Michael Cimino, uh, Stanley... John Gilliman, these sort of guys, you know, they know what Hollywood's all about. You've got, <laughs> you've got to be tough, otherwise you're going to get the shit beaten out of you by studio guys and yeah. uh, ruthless producers, you know. So you, to get to the top, you've got to be tough. And Stanley was a very astute businessman and a very tough taskmaster, and uh, he pushed himself pretty hard too. I mean, Stanley didn't. He was totally focused on what he was doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm. And, and the people in key positions with him, had, well, it was exactly the same, really. Yeah. Would you, you... Uh, I mean, those, the real key people had a tough job with Stanley. Production designer, cameraman, assistant director, editor. Those sort of key roles were very, very difficult with him. And uh, you notice a lot of those people filled those roles, as they do with most big directors, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But once they find somebody who, who they find is good, they obviously like to keep using them. Right. Particularly if it's someone you like and you get on with. You know, I mean, so much of it is, it's nicer if you actually get on with the people a little bit, you know? Yeah. You know, you've, you've worked on so many great films. Uh, and, you know, looking over your resume, I, I have a particular fondness for Gear of the Dragon and, and Casualties of War. Those, those are among two of my favorites. Uh, but... Barry Lyndon, what was unique uh, about this production among all, all the many others that you've worked on? Well, Barry Lyndon was really like a big adventure. Um, I mean, we started off in England, then we went to Ireland, then we left Ireland. Um, we came back to England. We sort of ran out of locations there. And um, 
came back to England and shot in England. Then we went to Germany and shot the second unit. I went out there with Dougie Milsom and about seven crew, and then we picked up local crew, and we shot out there for about eight weeks. And, um, you know, Stanley obviously didn't come with us on that, and we just shot, shot a lot of second unit stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very good in those days because there were no mobile phones, so Stanley could never... <coughs> It found very difficult to communicate with us, which was tremendous. So we used to just go and shoot, shoot all the material that had been mapped out, and then we'd move on to the next location, and then he'd ring up the there and say, later and catch us, and tell us to go back and redo it, you know. Mm. So that, that, was, that was great fun on that film. I enjoyed that Germany more than anywhere. We had a really great time. Then we shot up in Scotland and Wales doing rumbies, and... That was fun, yeah. And that was a very, very good time, very relaxed time, you know, that sort of stuff. It had to... Barry Leonard was a very tough movie to make. It wasn't an easy film. Like all those big period films are, mm. are tough to make, you know. I mean, there's, they're all exactly the same. It's the same old problem. Everyone has to be there half past four in the morning and getting everyone ready and the rain. And, the, and particularly in places like Ireland, shooting the exteriors, you know, where you have a terrific problem with the light all the time and trying to control it. You know, it's so difficult. Yeah. And the um, lighting in the film, the, I mean, when, when people talk uh, about Barry Lyndon, uh, inevitably it all comes back to the innovation. Yeah, with the, yeah. to the use of the 7.0 lenses, the old NASA lenses, and uh, uh, that stuff did, with all with the candlelight, that did look terrific, no mm. question about it. Although very difficult to shoot because of the very tiny depth of field that you had with those particular lenses, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course they'd all—they were all. Stanley had them all. Ed DiGiulio fitted them all to, onto an old BNC camera, so it was a very difficult job. Very difficult job for Dougie Milson, who was the focus puller on that movie. I mean, that was a very, very tough film for him. I mean, he did a fantastic job, really, because Stanley is very, very tough on guys in those positions. In fact, he promoted both Johnny Alcott, who used to be the uh, camera assistant on 2001, made him a cameraman on Clockwork, mm. and he promoted Dougie. <clears throat> after The Shining and the Barry Lyndon to be the cameraman on Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. One thing Stanley was terrific at is if he saw someone who was, he thought had potential, uh, was young, very enthusiastic, hardworking, and had some talent, he would give any young person a break in that role. So, you know, it was rather nice to have a sort of mixture of old campaigners, people who are really very experienced, and some good, good young people. Of course, with Stanley being the, the hours you had to work, I mean... Uh, I think there were a few uh, marriages that came apart through the years over the long hours. <laughs> but there had I'd to never known when you were going to finish. <laughs> there, there had to have also been a uh, a sense that he would challenge you more than any other director and bring out the best in you. Did you get that well, sense yes, from him? I mean, the thing with Stanley was that you know he was would have a million like, things for you to do. The only way you survived with him was making sure that you learned how to do them in the right order. Mm. And Stanley's ideas weren't always uh, the best ideas, of course. I mean, he did have some very good ideas, but a lot of them were pretty pointless. And many times before, we we knew we would be reverting back to the old tried and trusted method. Mm. But of course, you always went around Stanley's way of doing it. And it was difficult for new people coming on board. I used to often say to one or two people who eventually left us, used to say, you'll just hang back and wait. This will all change around later on, but they, you, you've got to play Stanley's system. You can't, it's no good going steaming in and having a man. Of course we know this isn't going to happen, and we aren't, we aren't, we're going to build sets and we're going to build streets on the back lot. We know all that, 
Barry knows it really, but I mean, he'll try every other possible <laughs> way to be there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's difficult for them to get into that system. If you're used to working on a normal movie where you've got a set schedule, which people are actually going to try and achieve, and, um, you know, that, that, that never entered into it for Stanley. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he, he got to a situation where he, he was very, very money conscious, Stanley. I mean, he was the hardest nut on money. It was very difficult to make a good deal with him. And uh, he kept the crew very small, apart from when you were shooting huge scenes, when, of course, we had the proper people. But, I mean, he was very much aware that he was going to take his time to shoot a film. So he would keep the running costs. He was more interested in the running costs, the weekly running costs, than mm-hmm. the schedule. Mm-hmm. But, but tell, tell me about the, the the style of shooting, and because you hear about the the, the numerous takes and so forth... Tell me about that process and, and, and how the scenes evolved, the way well, he allowed them to play. You would always, before anything happened, would be getting the set dressed properly and getting it lit properly before it even start to think about getting the actors in to rehearse even. Mm-hmm. Because you know he wanted to create the whole atmosphere of what the scene was going to be about. A lot of people don't work that way, and of course they don't have time to do that. Then he'd sit down with the actors and work through the scenes and then rewrite them, send them off, do them again, and come back the next day, whatever, while we then sat down and spent days or weeks or hours lighting the sets properly to to the eventual scene that had been written or changed, or in some cases not, but invariably. It will be a long rehearsing process with Stanley, you know, and a lot of involvement with the actors. I mean, a lot of people often said, I've heard them say, Stanley wasn't good with actors. I thought he was exceptional with actors. He gave them every chance to do whatever they wanted, really. I mean, and put in their own <coughs> ideas, and he would listen, and he would try things. And uh, I thought he was a, a very good director with actors, actually. I mean, far better than most of them come across. Well, I find... You know, most of, them, most of them spend too much time talking to the stars. I mean, the stars are never going to change their... I've met now yet to meet a director who's changed a major star and a wonderful actor's performance. Mm-hmm. I, I, the really top people, because what, if, unless you cast them properly, you're fucked. Mm. I mean, because, you know, they're going to come, these real big guys come with their own ideas, and very hard to get them to change a character. Well, I was talking to um, t- to Leon Vitale for, for this series, and oh, sure. yeah. it, uh, it, it illuminated something for me when, when I hear about how he worked on Eyes Wide Shut, for example. Which which you, you worked on as well with Mr. Cuban. Sure, of course. I mean that that he would be in that apartment or whatever location we're discussing with these actors, and and he would allow he would kind of allow the actors to to find the scene and the process of doing it. So uh, when you hear reports of the ultra controlling director with actors, I, I don't think controlling directors do that. They they come with exactly what they want. Yeah. I mean, William Wyler didn't do that. I mean, the, the, the top guys just come in and say, right, play the scene. Let's right. have a look. What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, that, you can do this with proper actors. Of course, it's very difficult to do this when you've got just medium-type artists, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, The the Shining. Uh, we have to discuss The Shining, of course. The uh, t- Tell me about... I, I love that picture, and, and the, that picture just deepens for me every time I see it, my enjoyment of it. Um, t- tell me what memories come to mind to you about that shoot. It took a long time. <laughs> um, well, first of all, Jack was an absolute joy to work with. I mean, he really is. He and Dustin Hoffman, of the actors I've worked with, are right up there as 
two of the top six that I've come across, mm. you know, to both to work with generous people, nice guys, uh, absolutely brilliant artists. Um, pleasure to work with. I've been lucky enough to do three films with Jack. So, um, but yeah, he was terrific, Jack. And uh, of course, for the first month, they were like sort of snakes, really, uh, Stanley and Jack whittling around. And then once we sorted the hours that Jack was going to work out, we were fine. <laughs> and we got on with it. <laughs> yeah, Jack was no fool. Yeah. I used to say to Tom, really, you should have checked with Jack about what it's like working with us, you know, because he wouldn't have stood any of his nonsense being here till 10 o'clock at night. Mm. <laughs> no, Jack's, uh, he, he sussed it all out pretty quickly, and, um, yeah, he's a very cool operator. He got on very well with Stanley, though. He was wonderful in the film, I thought. A lot of I, uh, people said that he overacted. I certainly didn't think so. I thought it was a t- fabulous uh, performance. I think so, too. And, and... and uh, and, uh, Very good. I mean, it was a tough movie to make because, you know, we built it all. Everything was built in the studio on the back lot. I mean, apart from a bit of second unit stuff at the beginning of the film and a couple of long shots uh, up in uh, Oregon of a hotel. But um, everything else, you know, was built. We did a wonderful job on that film. A guy who did a fantastic job was Roy Walker, the production designer, mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm. And what's and, their... Uh, Johnny, Johnny was a cameraman, Johnny Alcott. And the the the, the set uh, that you built, it, I, I would imagine it was built uh, a lot, uh, very ex- expansively uh, for, for freedom. Massive every stage at the studio, yeah, yeah. massive. And it, it allowed for kind of freedom of motion because you guys were experimenting with the Steadicam, which was quite new at the time. Very much so. And he, I mean, I must say, Garrett was fantastic. I mean, um, I've been lucky enough to work with. Two or three really top class um, steady cam people through the years, most of them through Garrett, and uh, he did a wonderful job on that film. Mm. I mean, uh, mind you, it was, went on a bit longer than he ever thought, but in the end, I mean, he used to come backwards and forwards on the old Concorde to New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he used to save up the steady cam shots for it. But yeah, he was terrific, Garrett Brown. I mean, a, a, a great technician, and Stanley liked him very much, and he did a terrific job. And it's not easy waving that thing around for someone like Stanley Kubrick. It's not like doing it on a episode of The Bill on television, you know, when you're with Stanley. I mean, the framing's got to be perfect all the time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, about the framing, about the framing, did he uh, storyboard, Did he or did he find most things at the location on the day? Stanley never storyboarded anything. <laughs> He's not a Ridley in that way. I mean, you know, those sort of, uh, Brian De Palma or anything like that. No, Stanley is very much. No, he's not a storyboard man. Mm-hmm. Stanley didn't really do action movies. The only time you want to worry about storyboards is is on action films because storyboards, to me, are a complete waste of time on an ordinary film, I think, because, you know, you could, why, how can you storyboard something until you see what, how the actors are going to play the scene? Yeah. You can write... I mean, I've worked with directors who do shot lists that are a mile long. Well, you're never going to shoot them all in the scheduled time on, on general films. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I've worked with guys who put down every single shot that you can imagine that you'd want to do. Well, it's complete rubbish, you know. Mm. Complete waste of their time and waste of everybody else's. Well, I mean, it's useful sometimes to, to sketch down what you want to do. Once once you've seen the scene play, then, of course, you you work out how you're going to cover it. And then you make notes of what you're going to do and you go from there. Yeah. But uh, storyboarding, different thing on an action movie or a big CGI movie, you've got to do it. That's a different story. But on a standard movie, I think it's a complete waste of time if your director knows what you're doing. Right. Well, the reason... Uh, you, don't, you don't really see... 
well, I mean, I've never, I mean, Ridley, of course, and Tony and people like that are uh, wonderful artists, so they find it easier to draw out to people to explain what they want. Mm. But, you know, Brian Department does a sort of matchstick board job with uh, storyboarding, and um, he, he sticks pretty much to them, funnily enough. But yeah. um, he does a lot more action movies, Brian, so uh, you, need, you do need storyboards on the action, particularly when you're using second units as well. You know, you've got to intermingle everything. And he has these very but, I mean, complex... I, I personally think that they're a waste of time on an ordinary film, which is, a, say, a just an ordinary drama, a complete waste of time. Right. And De Palma has these, because we've done a series of tribute shows on, on De Palma as, as well, and, and, and spoken to him on the show. We're, we're crazy about De Palma, but he also has these very elaborate, he's known for his elaborate sequences uh, yes, well, Brian does long, a lot of, uh, you know, very complicated setups. He's very, very good at that, Brian. Mm. I mean, you know, Brian's not such a great communicator with the actors, I don't think, personally. I mean, mm -hmm. I've only worked with him once. He asked me to do a couple of other films. I enjoyed it very much. He has very good people with him. He's very well organized. He knows what he's doing. Um, not a terrific communicator. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think he enjoys too much of that. But um, I must say I enjoy working with him and... Um, Enjoyed the first time I worked with Sean Penn, who I've been lucky enough to work with three times. Yeah, who I think who I think is a top class director. I mean, he's excellent. Sean Penn, not to do commercial movies, but he really is a very fine director. Well, he's a wonderful actor, obviously, and a very nice guy. I mean, he's a he's a good guy, one of the really good young guys. He'll make some really fantastic movie one day, directing. No yeah. question about it in my mind. I love his I love his films. Yeah. Oh, top class. I mean, I've done two with him. Um, the Pledge, the Pledge and uh, Crossing Guard, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, but The Pledge was a good movie. Very much. With, with Jack. And, uh, yeah, Sean is terrific. I mean, uh, I will be amazed if he is nominated as a director one day uh, yeah. for an Oscar. Uh, In terms I of... I uh, like to be around when he does that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, in terms of working with actors, the, the question that always comes up with The Shining was... The different approach that Kubrick had with Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, and I look at Shelley Duvall's performance in The Shining, and I think she even says it in the in the documentary that his approach to her was a means to an end to get her to yeah. a certain place because that is one of the great performances of that decade yeah, and of that genre. Difficult. It was difficult for Shelley because you know half the time she's crying, and you know we used to have to adopt the approach that Stanley, myself, and one of my assistants. Gave her a really hard time, <laughs> and my other assistant, Michael Stevenson, and Doug Twitty, who was the production manager, sort of the line producer, used to be really fatherly to her. <laughs> that was our approach with Shelley. <laughs> of course, she did get a hard time. I mean, Jack used to go over half past seven every night, and we used to work on with Shelley till ten o'clock. You know. Mm -hmm. But she was good, Shelley, but it was a very tough role for her. Yeah. You know, she used to sort of argue. Stanley was amazing, really. He used to say to her, she used to ask him what, you know, typical Stanley, he had an answer for everybody. And she'd say to him, what, you know, what do you want me to do? And all that, that type of dialogue you get from some people. And you say, look, Shelley, you're the actress. Do something brilliant. <laughs> that was his approach. But, uh, she was she was very good in the film, and the little boy was fabulous. She yeah, did a, he did oh, yeah. a terrific job. But that was Leon actually, who had a tremendous amount to do with that. He looked after him, worked with him all the time, used to bring him in each day. Did a terrific job on that film, Leon Vitali, looking after Dan, <coughs> the little Danny. He, and um, 
Yeah, he, he did a great job with him on that. He really helped coaching him and looking up. It's very so difficult with young kids. You know, you need somebody with them all the time, with right. their lines, right. and helping them, and just watching them and looking after them and the family and everything. He never discussed uh, meaning, the, the 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 meaning of his films with the actors or the crew, or did he? Well, I wouldn't say Stanley. You know, he used to say to me, "Let the French critics work out what this." supposed to mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he never worried too much. When we didn't know what we were doing, he used to say to me that often. And you say, oh, well, the French critics to tell us what this is supposed to be about. Mm. Well, The Shining especially, because and we're talking to many uh, people that have written about it over the years, there seems to be this, uh, not since 2001 in his career, have there been so many interpretations of, of the meaning of things. And yeah. It's a film that you can enjoy and appreciate as a as a horror film, as a film of that yeah. genre. But there, there's also all kinds of interpretations people have. Uh, well, you're, you're, everyone's going to form an interpretation of how a film like The Shining. I mean, yeah. it's a sort of... Uh, it, it's a, when I first read it, actually, I was going off to South Africa to do a movie, and Stanley called me up to the house to read it, and uh, to take the book and read it. All treble space. So the book was, you know, like two... two volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm. And then when I asked him about who was going to be in it, and he told me uh, Jack. And then I, when I read it, I thought, Christ, this is going to be a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And I could clearly see it, you know, once reading something when you've got an idea who's going to play the part. But, you know, it just shows you what a shrewd actor Jack Nicholson is. He, used, he, he rings up a lot of the very top directors to check what they're doing, and he'd rung Stanley to see what he's up to and see if there's anything suitable for, Stan, for him. And, of course, uh, that's how he started, how he came into being The Shining. Yeah. And he's worked We with... didn't really... Sorry? And and the thing that strikes me about Nicholson is that he's... You're right. He has worked with the top and the most interesting filmmakers. I mean, Antonioni and... Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I had, it's funny. It's very funny in a small way. I always thought Jack just turned up and did it naturally because he's that sort of guy. Mm-hmm. But on the shining, uh, on the shining, on the pledge at the end of the movie, we sort of went over, of course. And Jack's contract was going to be up, so they had a huge overage on him, and they were trying to work out some sort of deal with him where they could put it at the back end. He was, you know, on a huge money. And Sean and I went to Caravan one day to see him and talk about it. And uh, we were in there, and Jack said, "Fine, well, if, what are we going to do about these things? If we cut some of these things." And he brought out his little box like Stanley used to have with every scene on it. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if we cut that, it means I can't do this here where I was going to do that. And I suddenly realized that Jack had every scene laid out with what he planned to do. Whereas I'd always, through the years, I thought this all came naturally. So, you know, Jack is a very, very shrewd guy who really thinks about what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was uh, something that really impressed me, actually. Um a truly wonderful actor and got on terrifically well with Stanley really and funnily enough on the pledge I remember one day asking him I said do you want to rehearse um, this scene Jack and he said to me Cookie he said I did all the rehearsing for the rest of my career on The Shining just shoot these things <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great Doing. I mean, top actors, the top actors are 
but as directors and 75% of the directors you come across. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, they do most of it anyway. People like Dustin Hoffman are all stage working like mad, getting give better performances off screen than they do sometimes on screen for the, within their own close-ups, you know, yeah. to try and get other people, to drag it out of other lesser actors, you know. Mm-hmm. Really wonderful to watch. Now, you, you actually... You went on and did many other films after The Shining, so it was the better part of, you know, it was probably six, seventeen years until you hooked up with Mr. Kubrick again. What was that dynamic like? Well, I, I, I went to, I went down to Australia with an old pal of mine, David Hemming, to produce a couple of movies for him, mm-hmm. and which I loved it down there. And we bought a house, and my daughter was only one, so I, I stayed there and operated from there for a few years. And so then Stanley wanted me to do Full Metal Jacket. And I came back to England to see him. The only time I ever had no problem making a deal with him, funnily enough, because he actually needed me. <laughs> but it was a very difficult time for us because we had two young, very young kids. They just started school and we had, had a house in Melbourne. So i just finished Year of the Dragon. I was pretty knackered because mm. that was a tough movie. And I thought, oh, God, a year in the East End of London. <laughs> I tried to make a deal with Stanley. I said, well, you'll never agree to pay me. I'll need a car because I'll need a house because our house is too small now in London. We've still got... Stanley said, I was having dinner with Stanley at his house. He said to me, Price, he said, it's fine. It's harder making a deal with you than it is with the leading man. <laughs> but, so I didn't... Um, I didn't actually... Uh, um, do the movie in the end. I yeah. went back to Australia, and it was just too difficult for us to come back up and come back to England for a year. I knew it would be a year, you know, so mm-hmm. a minimum a year, really. And also, it was in a horrible part of London, down in the gas works, and I thought, oh, this is not for me. Right. So I gave that one a miss. <laughs> <laughs> I recommended my assistant, uh, Terry Needham, do it, who did the movie, who is an excellent assistant. And, um, and so I then... Uh, uh, of course, Stanley asked me to come back and do Eyes Wide Child. So then I came back. I was living in California. I came back and uh, um, came back to London and uh, stayed in London. Really, operated from here since. My mother was getting pretty old, and um, so uh, anyway, we're, we're all back in England now. Yeah, and, and I enjoyed that. And I was here for like two and a half years on that film or something. So oh wow, and I, I've about his style of shooting, as you alluded to before. Um, his his kind of fiscal responsibility. Um, his sets didn't look like anyone else's sets uh, because I've heard that those those scenes were very intimate and many times there were just a just a couple of crew present. Yes, very much so. Uh, on Eyes Wide Shut, you mean? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we had a very small crew on the movie anyway. I mean, it was a, a very small crew picture. Um, Eyes wide shut. I mean, most directors would have gone and shot it in New York in 12 weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been the normal way to do it. But, um, you know, not Stanley's operation wouldn't do that. And, I mean, first of all, we know he liked to work from home and he was very happy doing that. He was never going to go away. I sort of think when I saw this thing recently about Peter Jackson, you know, arguing about leaving New Zealand. I mean, Peter Jackson's like Stanley. There's no way he's made a lot of money for studios. He's not going to come and shoot in London for two years or three years or something and leave his house in New Zealand. He's not that sort of guy. (laughs) He's a Stanley type of person. If you want him to do the film, you're going to have to do it the way he wants it done. 
And he's been very successful, so, you know, good luck to him. Yeah, why not? He's a talent, talent, talented guy. I think he, I mean, he is like a Stanley, a self, um, really a sort of self-made filmmaker, really. Teach yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the nearest person I've worked with to Stanley visually, I suppose, and it's got very similar in many, many ways, is Ridley Scott, you know, but really gets on with it a bit much, a lot quicker, you know. And but, I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant visual director. Very much, and he and he he very much idolizes Kubrick. Uh, he's very influenced. Yeah, yeah, by him. he does. I know. Yeah, yeah. he's a very a very fine director, though Ridley Scott visually, but as good as anybody. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, he's another person who's not <clears throat> such a terrific communicator with the actors in a way. Um, you know, he, he he sort of gets on and sets it all up and knows what he's doing. And has very good actors with him, and I, I, you know, agree that less is best sometimes with a lot of these very fine actors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no good sitting down with them for hours and hours and talking. You know, theory. You've got to get them and get out there and let's see what they can do. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. And, and yeah, if you've got the right people, it it it, it, it shapes, it forms itself. Of course, if you've got the wrong people, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's, that's difficult. But, um, no, Stanley was a master of that. I mean, Tremino was a great visual director, too, the, the people I've worked with. I mean, trem- tremendous visual. Uh, Michael, I mean, you know, mm. as good as anybody. on Big big canvas. All these guys are big canvas filmmakers. A lot of people aren't. A lot of directors can only really work on a small canvas, smaller story. You know, the, the David Leans and Francis Coppola's and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ridleys and uh, Michael Manns and James Cameron, these were Stanley, big, big canvas filmmakers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then there's a lot of very, very good filmmakers who, who work very well on a smaller scale. I would say the greatest of those would probably be Sidney Lumet. Yeah. That I've worked with. I'm with you on that, absolutely. I mean, you know, without any question, the one guy that I thought was uh, certainly the best organized I've ever seen in the, in the movie industry in my 40-odd years. And you did Billy Bathgate. And a pleasure to work with. No, no, the, Billy Bathgate was Benton, wasn't it? It was uh... a... A very nice man, the nicest American director you could ever work with. Hmm. Um, he is the equivalent of Michael Anderson and Lewis Gilbert were in England. Hmm. Absolutely top class, uh, a gentleman... Uh, has very good people with him, listens to what they've got to say. Um, yeah, a fine fine uh, filmmaker, of course, writer, more, much more than a technician, but, of course, had excellent people with him. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't work with a nicer man than Robert Benton. I mean, he was very good with actors, mm. absolutely terrific, and particularly, you know, with dealing with someone like Dustin, who's not easy. <laughs> Uh, one but I mean, Stanley, I, I pushed to get um, Dustin or Jack to come back in uh, Eyes Wide Shut when um, when we were looking for someone to play the role that Sidney Pollock eventually played. And Stanley thought that they would be, it was too small a role for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Sidney um, Pollock is wonderful in, in, in the film. And he, he was a late addition, wasn't he? Yeah, because uh, we had... Um, we had a very funny deal with um, Harvey Keitel. Uh, uh, sorry, Har- Harvey Keitel was with it? Harvey, yes. Well, he was only going to be in, of course, in the screenplay. Really, he's in for a couple of scenes early on and a scene at the end. Well, of course, you know that we had a problem with that. But when he came over for the first, so we had a three-week deal with him or something at ridiculously high money. Mm. 
Well, I always knew that was going to be a disaster because we were never going to shoot the end of the film at the beginning with Stanley and Tom, that's a certainty. <laughs> and, of course, we had a 14-week schedule or something ridiculous on paper. Right. Uh, and finished up taking, you know, 300 days. So uh, what happened was we did the first scene and then we did another scene and that didn't work out <clears throat> terribly well with a girl and we had to change her. And uh, then Harvey had to go back and then he was supposed to come back again, you know, in about eight or ten weeks' time. <laughs> well, of course, we'd only shot a couple of scenes by that time. <laughs> and then suddenly Stanley and Tom decided, well, we can't possibly shoot the end of the film, which, of course, was obviously going to happen. So Harvey had another movie to do, and he couldn't come back later in the year. He, he was booked up with films. So uh, we, uh, Tom suggested Sydney. Yeah. So Sydney came over for two weeks. He was a little, uh, dropped his plane off in New York and came over on the Concorde. <laughs> he was a bit disturbed when he came to see me the second day because he was supposed to be with us for two weeks or something. Mm. And uh, Margaret, our production manager, and I, uh, she, we decided to book him into the Basel Street Hotel for ten weeks. <laughs> he got this shot to his life the next day. He came into three me. He said, why did you book the room for ten weeks? I said, well... <laughs> been with Stanley a long time, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I've got to get back to the States. I've got cost. And I said, no, don't worry about that. We've stopped for that. You can go. We'll let you go. We've got plenty to do. Actually, I think that I think that Keitel probably came out with five movies in, 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 by the time that uh, Eyes Wide Shut. He's saying... Can you see the light at the end of the tunnel, Ryan? I said, see the end of the tunnel? I said, you haven't left the hotel to go to the station to get on the train yet. Don't worry, you're not getting near a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I've got other films to do. I said, well, <laughs> I thought to myself, Tom better get a new agent who has an open-ended deal like this with a film like Stanley, you know? Yeah. But he got, Jack, he... Jack, of course, didn't have that. I mean, he, he was, I think when we had Jack, we had six months and then of course he was on huge overages so we actually made an effort to get rid of him for after a few weeks mm, mm. <laughs> but no Tom was wonderful I mean he is a total professional Tom Cruise I hear all this rubbish written about him I mean I've known him a long time and um, he is a he's a delight to work with absolute gentleman yeah That's and a terrific enthusiast you know very generous nice guy always there you know he'd be there every day Stanley would turn up two hours later <laughs> Yeah, he was very, very good. I mean, absolutely terrific. And and they're both they're both great in the movie. I mean, um, and about the movie, what are your thoughts on it? Because for me personally, it's it's the Kubrick movie that that moves me the most. Um, well, I don't know about that. I was a bit shocked when I read the script, to be honest with you, because I I was sort of really imagining, knowing what I knew, that Stanley was really looking to do AI. Mm-hmm and um, had been working a lot towards that, and then this came up, I guess, you know, they were still hanging around trying to get the right um, CGI together to do a film like AI. But he'd been preparing it for a long time, and then this came out of the blue um, to do, which to me was a shock, but I thought, um, you know, when everyone said to me, oh, it's a small picture, I mean, there is no such thing as a small picture with people like David Lean and Stanley Kubrick and Francis Corbett Coppola. You know, mm -hmm. they make every movie a huge event. These guys don't just go and knock a film out for the sake of it, because <laughs> they, they need a few quid. Yeah. <laughs> These are all wealthy people. 
Um, and they, you know, they've got to attempt to do something better than they've done before all the time, which is a, you know, a tremendous strain, really. Mm. Um, but I was a bit surprised that we were going to do a movie like that. You know, it's, but you know, with Stanley, you never know what he's going to do with it. So it was interesting, but I, I just don't think. I don't think Stanley was really that well during a lot of the picture towards the end. I was always a bit worried about him, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, doing such strange hours that Stanley always wanted to work, you know, from like midday to midnight and in the studio and stuff like that. It was, um, you know, pretty taxing on him. Yeah. Do you, um, do you but, think? Uh, do you think it's sorry? the movie? Do you think it's the movie that he, the, the finished project? Do you think it's the movie that he? set out to make that we that we have seen I felt we steered off the course of I always imagined the idea of the film was at the end the audience we weren't sure whether this whole thing had been a dream mm -hmm. or was reality and I think we went away from that with the storyline as we went along you know mm -hmm. I mean that was one of the things that most appealed to me at the end of the movie that you weren't sure was did this happen or or didn't it happen? That was the sort of feeling of the book, I think. And um, we seem to have got we got got sidetracked away from that at a tangent, I think, in many ways. But yeah, no, it's a film. It's interesting that Tom said to me afterwards, uh, after it had come out and everything, he said that it's the only film that I've worked on where pe people's reviews are black and white. There's no grey reviews, which I normally get mm. in the middle. You either like it or you hate it. I think it's very much true. Mm -hmm. I think as it, as it goes along, it'll be you know, quite a defining movie on marriage, to be honest with you. I, think I mean, I personally liked it, but, I mean, that was just my own uh, my own uh, thoughts on it, you know? I loved it. I, I, I loved the film, actually. Um, he was very good in it, I thought, Nicole, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, she's a good actress, Nicole. And she was she was very good in the film. Oh, she's hypnotic in that movie. She, it, yeah, yeah. No, she was very, very good. And... Um, you know, she was quite tough with Stanley. I mean, she didn't take any nonsense from Stanley. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a quite funny moments because, of course, we had heaps of sort of different nude shots that Stanley had come up with from books and various things. <laughs> I used to have to go and give them to Nicole for her to say whether she'd prefer to do this or that. <laughs> yeah, she was fun. We had a lot of fun with Nicole, actually. She's nice. I mean, of course, I knew her well from Billy Bathgrave, mm -hmm. you know, living down in Australia. You know, she's good. She's very good. Yeah. She's a good actress. Let and me, uh, and they were very nice. You couldn't have worked with two nicer people, really. Be before I let you go, let me, because you, you've been so generous with me with your time, um, I have to ask you about Color Me Kubrick, um, because this is your, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you, you've worked in, in producing and, and as first assistant director on, on so many projects, but this was your first, uh, yeah, first direct directing. Yeah. Well, it's the first time I've had the real, I could afford to take a lot of time off to prepare something. Mm -hmm. Because now all my kids are out working and I don't have all those yeah. problems anymore. Whereas I used to work 53 weeks a year to pay all the bills and keep a few horses and houses all around the place. <laughs> Now, um, now I can afford to live in a small house and um, try and get a couple of my own pictures off the ground, which is what I'm in the process of doing at the moment. So, you, so you are going to direct again? I'd, I'd love to see that. Oh, well, I hope so. Yeah, we've got two or three projects. That, um, we've got one which Malcolm McDowell's going to do oh. called The Count of Comedy, 
um, which I think is a small movie, but I think could be quite fun. Tony Fern wrote that, who wrote Colour Me Kubrick. Huh. Um, so, you know, we've got several things that we're trying to do. It's like everything. It's difficult, as you know, at the moment. Yeah. But, so hopefully, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I enjoy it, really. I mean, it's a lot easier directing yourself than working with bad directors. Mm. You know, and if you get the good cast, I mean, I had John Markovich, who was fantastic to work with, and is a great guy, a wonderful actor, and he's very good in Colour Me Kubrick. He's very good. Yeah, yeah. He was the only person I actually ever thought of playing the part, really. Rather like Malcolm in this little thing we're doing, you know, having to do now. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, you know, but I do all sorts of things, you know, the old gun for hire, really. Bit of producing here and whatever, you know, which what? I enjoy. Well, I look I look forward to seeing anything you you work on, and especially if you're behind the director's chair, I, I want to see another film from you. <laughs> well, I mean, I certainly uh, intend to do another one. That's for sure. As long as we can find someone to put some money up, <laughs> that's the tough bit. That's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> Project is easy, and they've got to be interesting too for me to do them because I, you know, I turn down lots of just little directing jobs mm-hmm. of just ordinary films that have been made that really don't interest me unless, unless I can do something that I think is interesting I, I wouldn't want to do it to be honest with you not after all the years that I've spent with good people yeah yeah. I mean I'd want to it has to be able to be get some decent actors in and be interesting enough to get them in and uh, and so you can have a bit of fun as well with it you know something that's uh, I mean because it's very hard making a movie it's hardest you need a holiday after every moment I think when you you get the script eventually written, you lay it all out, you <laughs> get the money, you need a holiday after that, then you prepare it, you need a holiday, <laughs> shoot it, you need a holiday, do the post-production. You need, I mean, it, you're knackered every t- every section. <laughs> it's, it's really tough going. It slowly beats you down. Yeah, and actually making the movie is, is uh, I've heard it's almost a relief after going through the battle oh, of... Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, you know, you just... I mean, it's so... Uh, that's the easy bit, making the film. I mean, I think what he says is true. Once you've got a good crew and you know what you're doing, some good actors and a script pretty much set, I mean, that's standard procedure. You just hope that it, that you know, that it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all the other stuff, that's the tough bit, you know, all the arguments at the end and all the arguments at the front about the money and the deals and... <laughs> You know, all the, all the bullshit that goes with it and listening to everybody else's idea. I mean, these people are all experts once the film's been made. Mm-hmm. None of them got any ideas when you're actually doing it. You're right, that's right, yeah. And not one of them's got any idea before the script's written, but they've all got plenty of ideas once the script appears. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of the same old uh, nonsense that we get all the time. But, I mean, I feel, you know, the guys who... You've got to be tough. You've got to be the Brian De Palmas who doesn't want to talk to too many people. And uh, <coughs> James Cameron's, Michael Mann, Stanley Kubrick's, David Lean's. These are the sort of guys. You've got to be like that to make it to the very, very top and yeah. stay there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be messed around with a lot of these jokers who you see on one movie and you never see them again. Mm-hmm. I mean, producers. But I've, and of course, today everybody has it. Everyone's a producer. You just look at the credits, you know. And You've got everybody's wife, girlfriend, mistress, you know, kids. Everybody's on board. Agents, lawyers. Yeah, cow. yeah. And they make movies I mean, that last. I mean, with Kubrick's yeah. films, I'm revisiting them after I first saw them, you know, over 20 years ago. And, and, oh, 
and they I deepen for me. 2001 last year again, terrific. I mean, you know, a lot of it stands up today, some of the effects, and that was like 1965. Mm. Mm. Really fantastic effects and things in these movies, and, you know, some of the Spanish stuff. I mean, the difference was David Lee, my father always used to say, was, a, a, was a, the best, in his view, of people he'd worked with, was the best storyteller mm -hmm. of great novels and bringing them to the screen, uh, but Stanley was a great visionary, yeah. and I think that those two are the greatest filmmakers that have enduring my period of time. You know? mm. well, I mean, uh, I'm talking about people who work from this part of the world, not not people who worked basically from America. You know, of course, right. there's been you know, some half a dozen of the top guys there are really fantastic filmmakers. Well, there are some of those. Such a, they, they should, it should really, I always think, be made into. Should be like football leagues, really. These directors should be <clears throat> marked up as, you know, the Premier League, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and Division Four. <laughs> 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 they should be seeded, really. You shouldn't have them all in as a director. Right, right. right. <laughs> and they should be leagued up, is what I feel. With them. <laughs> <laughs> so you know straight away you're dealing with some idiot. Ha, 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 ha.